here. My name is Luke Smith. My name is Sebastian. Now, last a couple of weeks ago, we talked about uh, Keffels, mm-hmm. who is a uh, Twitch streamer. Now, you've watched some of Keffels' streams. Yes. And... You've also come across some stories which I wasn't able to corroborate. Well, it's so... on her Twitter. Okay, you well... Just... Yeah, so, I mean, it, it's, it's pretty open. Um... So one of the controversies around her is that she is part of a DIY hormones network. Now, the DIY hormones is not literally DIY hormones. People have joked referring to her as the queen of bathtub estrogen, but that's not how you science. Um, It's really just uh, when people have leftover hormones from their treatments, you can send them to her and she'll redistribute it. But the Mm. controversy is that she's redistributing it to minors who can't can't get access through their doctors. Allegedly. Well, I mean, by her own admission. So, on her Twitter. But, yeah. Um, There's actually several activists who are engaged in DIY hormones. And a lot of people are concerned because, like, uh, like male bodybuilders who take testosterone uh, unmonitored by a medical professional, they can get uh, breast cancer, they can get testicular problems, liver damage, kidney damage. Mm -hmm. Even if you're a woman who's taking estrogen... Replacement for various reasons, you can get breast tissue damage, you can get uh, cervical cancer, like a whole bunch of issues, and they're basically saying, like, these things are supposed to be done under medical care. I don't think swatting is the answer. Absolutely not. And for our listeners who aren't uh, familiar, a little while ago, I think within the last two weeks, uh, somebody reported that uh, Keffel's, uh, particularly their, their birth name, uh, were going to kill off various councillors in the city of London, Ontario. Yeah, it was something like all cishets must die or, or something. Yeah. yeah, it was very bizarre. Yeah. But the London police appropriately responded to what was a potentially credible threat yeah. against multiple councillors in London. Um, and they were informed that the location of the person planning it, which was Caffles, mm. um Sorry, the location was was Keffels, uh, but it wasn't. It was just a swatting technique, yeah. which is essentially false reporting in order to trigger mm-hmm. a significant police response to yep. someone's private residence. Yep. Um, thankfully, uh, the London police, uh, London Ontario police, uh, apologised for mm-hmm. the the event. They have cleared uh, Keffels' name, mm-hmm. um, and uh, nothing further sort of legally is happening. But mm-hmm. this is incredibly dangerous. People have died from swatting. Yes. Well, I mean, doxing in general is just not good. The fact that they knew a home address with which to swat. Yeah, exactly. That alone is pretty spooky. It is. Well, Keffels then moved to a hotel. Yes. Until six different pizza companies all sent her pizza to that hotel. Okay. Revealing that people knew yeah. which hotel uh, she was in. Pizza being the less dangerous version of swatting. Exactly. Yeah. And then uh, then it happened again at another hotel. So Kefels has said that at this point, uh, they do not feel safe in Canada mm-hmm. because their location is consistently being revealed to whoever it is uh, that's trying to uh, cause at the very least, discomfort. Oh, yes. Um, you know, this is, frankly, it's just harassment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, uh, yeah, so they've they've announced that they will be going to Europe. Now, you reckon Europe is code for Sarnia or Paris, Ontario, uh, potentially. I mean, I think it's extreme, you know, to yeah. be doxxed and swatted and, and chased around the city. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what a way to make someone feel incredibly unsafe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. The the Sarnia thing, by the way, that's just sort of an inside joke. When I was in high school, I had a friend who ran away from home. And a year later, we found her living in Sarnia. And then when I went to visit her, I said, why Sarnia? And she said, nobody looks for you in Sarnia. <laughs> and uh, Which is ironic, because when I went to visit her, I was actually kind of... Uh, Sarnia is a very small town, but people there are so friendly. I was like, of all the places to run away to, you, you chose a good one. Petrolia yeah. is next door, so it's a bit stinky. But like it's a, yeah, it's a nice enough town. But yeah, if 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 you want to run away where nobody finds you, just go to Sarnia. <laughs> I mean, I feel like all over the country there's little towns like that. You know. Yeah. If you want to run away and not be found, Kamloops. Yeah. I mean, who's, <laughs> who's going to Kamloops or uh, Antigonish? Someone's got to live there. Yeah, absolutely, I'm yeah. sure there are people that live in Antigonish. Hurst. Hurst is a good one. Yeah. 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 I like Hurst. Yeah. Absolutely. Fairyland. Fairy. No, that's a new one to me. Isn't that like, is that like a region of Germany? Like, no, no, no. If it's a name and it sounds kind of funny, it's, it's Newfoundland. New, I was about to say, it's either Newfoundland <laughs> or Nova Scotia. Yeah. It's, yeah. I want to issue a correction. Uh, last week, I may have edited it, edited it, or edited I may have cut it out of the show, but I referred to uh, Dildo, Nova Scotia, and famously, Dildo is in Newfoundland. It is in Newfoundland, yeah. Not Nova Scotia, yeah. so all of our Newfoundland, uh, all of our Dildoites, Dildo, mm. Dildoers, Dildo... I, 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 how would you refer to someone from dildo? Dildites, I don't know. Dildites? Yeah. Mm. I don't know. I, the the, the, uh, the, Ari- the Canadian band The Arrogant Worms have a great song about funny Newfoundland names. Mm-hmm. Blow Me Down, which is a national park. <laughs> uh, Kilbride, Titty Bitty, Joe Bat's Arm. Yeah, they go on. A lot of them are just like, what happened here? <laughs> Joe what, Bat's Arm. What happened yeah. here? <laughs> I mean, they got to the park and it was very windy. So it's blow me down park. I love it. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we want to apologize to the people of Dildo, Newfoundland for yes. incorrectly referring to you as Nova Scotia. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we're going to get complaints from the Dildoites uh, next week about uh, about that particular mistake. Tegan and Sarah had put together a autobiography, if you recall. Okay. Sort of speaking to their teenage years. Uh-huh. Sort of what was a lot of the inspiration for their early music. Yes. And that book has now been made into a uh, film called High School. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, it might be a series. I think it's coming out in October. They actually went down a very common path that I've seen. So Tegan and Sarah did this. Hoxley Workman did this. Animal Collective did this, where they started off acoustic, and everybody was shocked when they switched to a more electronic sound. And it turns out they always wanted electronics, but it's just a Roland P500 is incredibly expensive, so you start off with acoustics until you can afford it. Mm. So Tegan and Sarah, they they made it very clear the first half of their career was mostly just saving up money so they could start the second half of their career, which is what they wanted to do all along. Yeah. It's a, it's a very common arc in a lot of musicians' lives. But yeah, so this film, uh, sorry, series called High School, and I've got a bit of a quick synopsis here. High School is a story about finding your own identity, a journey made even more complicated when you have a twin yeah. whose own struggle and self-discovery so closely mimic your own. Yeah. Told through a backdrop of 90s grunge and rave culture, mm-hmm. the series weaves between parallel and discordant memories of twin sisters growing up down the hall from one another. I mean, I think it's going to be interesting. They obviously, they, not obviously, they uh, famously grew up in Calgary, mm-hmm. uh, Alberta. I don't know a huge amount about the sort of grunge scene of Calgary, 
but I imagine it, it was a, it was a thing. One of them ended up moving to Vancouver and the other to Montreal in order to find themselves separate mm. from each other, which a lot of people were shocked by that they recorded. I think it was their fourth album. It was the one with um, Walking in the Dark. I don't remember the name of the album, but I remember it was that album that they had separated and they recorded remotely. And then they got in the studio to do the, 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 the master copies that would mm. actually become the album. But they, they basically did the album remotely so that they could have time being themselves and not just a mirror of somebody else for a while. Yeah, so. I imagine it is a challenge being twins, uh, twin sisters. And also, ever since they started becoming famous, people assumed Tegan and Sarah were a lesbian couple. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, uh, that's its own challenge. I don't mm-hmm. know if that'll be explored in any way in this series but there are a lot of of couples that look like each other absolutely yes it's gay twins it was a thing for a while yeah now just for our audience sake gay twins was where somebody noticed i think it was on instagram where a lot of gay couples tended to look almost identical to each other like almost a mirror image Mm -hmm. in terms of style facial structure you know the whole the whole thing there was an interesting article. Only some of them are, are, they resemble enough where they could be twins. Most of them resemble enough where if you said they were brothers, you would not be shocked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's men and women. Mm-hmm. Men are more likely, but I've, there's a lot of women out there as well who look exactly like their partner. This is true. Yeah. Okay, we're going to jump to our first track. This is the new track by Tegan and Sarah, Faded Like a Feeling. We will be back just after this. When we met, I worried that spark too easy did me in with your grief we grew into something heavy been a while we lost touch i feel like a stranger i ran out on your love obey Change like the seasons And you faded like a feeling When we met, I noticed that You and me got hurt too easy
My name is Zerg Smith. My name is Sebastian. All right. There was an interesting article I came across in LGBTQ Nation, which is an online uh, LGBT news source. Now, it wasn't really a news story, but it was really looking at LGBTQ slang, mm-hmm. uh, some of the modern slang and some of the more outdated slang. Now, with what is truly an explosion in RuPaul's Drag Races. Mm-hmm. And what we're starting to see is the emergence of some local indigenous slang mm-hmm. for uh, LGBT folks starting to come to the fore. We're seeing that a little bit with the uh, with the Australian one. We've talked a little bit in passing before about how gay... As a as a term, as an identity, specifically American gay. So we're yeah. talking Stonewall, San Francisco. We're yeah, talking yeah. Fire you know, Island. Exactly. Yeah. That, you know, short shorts with an inseam that's barely long enough. You know, those kinds of things. AKA and the village people. The, literally the village people. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, but that idea, that identity, that representation of homosexuality being taken all over the world. Yeah. And then expecting these countries to adopt and embrace that particular representation of homosexuality. Mm -hmm. Compared to more indigenous, i.e. from the area, representations of homosexuality. The reason why I am concerned about all of the drag races is... When we explore LGBTQ slang, how we've referred to each other as, you know, Mary, Friends of Dorothy. Light um, Loafers. Poof is a, is a favorite of mine. Eternal Bachelor. <laughs> exactly, yes. yeah. All of these lovely euphemisms for homosexuals. But now we're seeing a lot of African-American vernacular, AAV, terms from the ball scene being used in drag. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's really being popularized worldwide by RuPaul's Drag Race growing all over the world. Mm-hmm. You know, in almost every country, there's a, a library competition where you have to throw shade and read people. Mm-hmm. And that is distinct to the New York ball scene yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, from a certain time period. So I don't know, what do you think about this idea of sort of a homogenous queer drag identity being exported all over the world? Well, it does erase local culture to a degree and i've actually gotten into into severe arguments with people where like i would say things like when i lived in japan uh i didn't know a single no i knew one person who was same-sex attraction who identified as gay everybody else identified as something else because japan has a different way of being a homosexual and being gay they view that as being a western thing they acknowledge, obviously, what that means fundamentally, and they acknowledge, obviously, that Japan has its own version of that, but they really do see gay as being a, a Western cultural phenomenon, and they have their own little versions of that. 
I can understand, you know, you got to refer to them as something. You're not going to say Japanese same-sex attracted male-identified persons every time. <laughs> You're just going to say Japanese gay men. And in the back of your mind, know that they have their own version of that. Exactly, yeah. But there are some people who didn't get the memo that that's what we're doing, that it's a mm. linguistic shortcut. And they really do insist. And there are a few arguments that I've also seen from... I don't want to say conservative. Uh, um, people from the LGBT community who are not in a certain political camp, who agree that they don't want queer ta uh, culture taught in primary schools, definitely primary schools they agree with. And the number one reason is they don't like the idea of a state employee telling queer children how to be, how to identify, what language to use. They're like, that is something that you discover on your own. That's something that you come to terms with when you're late teens you go out you start meeting people you work out your identity organically by interacting with other people you don't need your third grade teacher telling you if this is how you feel this is what you are but anyway i do remember some time ago i was on the bus and i overheard these 15 year old girls just using gay men's club slang and i was like where did they learn that and then it occurred to me they probably just looked it up on instagram and it was just a gloss somewhere you know here's a concept Here's the word that gay men use to use that uh, to express that concept, and now they're using it. So on the one hand, and I think we've mentioned this before in the past, the, the idea of like a gay culture as a unique thing is kind of dying. It's kind of spreading out through the rest of culture. Like people know what a bear is now. They know what a twink is now. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of these terms are becoming standard. But on the other hand, that means that we don't need an underground gay culture. Like we're not suffering in obscure pain anymore and that we can be a little bit more open it's not like the only way to find you know love and friendship as a gay man in the modern world is to go into this deep underground situation that that you know gay men gangsters and drug dealers hang out in the same 4 a.m bars uh, which used to be a real thing. It was for a yeah. long time. Yeah, so the real thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're not in that world anymore, and the fact that the culture is not needed enough that it can disperse—that is a good thing. And the fact that we're losing that is—is—it's it, bad, but it's a sign of something good. It, it's kind of a mixed curse, a mixed blessing at the same time. <laughs> but we were in the Starbucks in oh, like. Rural Starbucks. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, as, as rural as a Starbucks can get, because Starbucks. And uh, this flag was... No, no, we were, we were out camping by a provincial park, and it was sort of north of uh, north of Toronto somewhere. Huntsville? Because you know Huntsville, that's where all the rich people have their cabins. It begins with A. Anyway, but we, we saw this flag, and uh, I was explaining to my, my sister's boyfriend, I'm like, you will recognize the pride flag here. Mm -hmm. There's the two stripes to recognize the historical racial discrimination. Mm -hmm. And then we have the intersex flag. Uh, sorry, the trans flag. And then we have the internet intersex flag. And I say it's worth noting, one in 10 people, according to most census data, is gay. Uh -huh. One in 100 people, according to census data, is trans. One in 10,000 people. <laughs> trans and non binary and yeah, 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 yeah. But one in 10,000 people is in our intersex. Yeah. And uh, I explained briefly what that was. Um, and even then, it depends on how you define intersex. It really does yeah. depend on how you define intersex. Now, for our listeners going, please define intersex. <laughs> um, that is essentially, 
you don't really hear about it because it's very niche, but usually it is uh, folks who are born with uh, genitalia or other sex organs that are uh, of both sexes. Now, for a long time, doctors would do automatic corrective surgeries uh, as, seeing, as children. Seeing both sexes is not quite as accurate. Usually they say ambiguous. Ambiguous sex yeah. organs, yeah. yeah, exactly. But there was, for a long time, corrective surgeries that happened. Uh, Canada, there was a famous court case where yeah. someone took the doctors to court, yeah. having essentially... Uh, chosen the wrong one. Well, they usually correct it between quotation marks, very heavy quotation marks, to whichever is easiest. Mm -hmm. So if they are going to uh, seal something, the vaginal cavity, or like cut off the penis, like they do whatever they think is most likely to look natural in the end. And what they actually found is if they just do genetic testing to see the chromosomes, yeah. they, they will be wrong at the same rate as there are trans people. And it's just like, yeah. like it, and it's half the time it's just something like, you know, there, there's a burst of testosterone in the third trimester and then something happened. And usually, quite often actually, people with ambiguous genitals at birth puberty will correct it anyway. Yeah, the, the current methodology in Canada is wait and see. Wait and see. Wait and see, yeah. and until the baby is able to uh, give consent as a not baby anymore. That's the baby, not the baby. Yeah. Who's a rapper. Exactly. Yeah. And we try and avoid referring to the baby, yeah. unless we're referring to him as a baby. Yes. Because, of course, he got very upset about something recently, and I forget what it was. But then you start calling him the big baby, and I looked it the up. The big baby. It turns out there's another rapper. <laughs> there's another rapper called the big baby. The big baby. Oh no. Yeah. There's also a, a little baby. So oh, the yeah. little baby. Yeah, you you kind of can't make jokes about rappers called baby because you're just going to be naming. It's just already. Right, I'm just naming different rappers. Really does exist. Yeah. Oh my gosh. All right. Well, anyway, so intersex is rare. You only really generally hear about them about uh, gender testing for the Olympics, for example. Yeah. So you're like, oh my gosh, this woman runs a bit manly. And then they gender test them, and then to everyone's surprise, including the woman, they have a certain amount of chromosomes mm -hmm. or hormones or what have you. Um, it is it is rare, one in 10,000, mm -hmm. uh, but it's not unheard of. But a flag in Starbucks in rural Ontario with, uh, you know, that represents one in 10,000 people. Like I mean, it's niche. Yes. It is niche. Yes. And my brother was like, what is this flag? And I briefly explained it. And what annoyed me about this flag is it is American. Yes. And it is American because I've mentioned a few times the Black and the Bound Stripes talking about our sort of racial reckoning with uh, the sort of historical discrimination and racism in the gay community, specifically from the context of the United States. Yes. I am acutely aware of the significant and ongoing systemic racism in the gay community in Canada, especially yeah. in various communities yeah, yeah. across the country. But we have no representation for Indigenous folks yeah. in this flag. Like, it was designed really from, from the States. Yeah, it was exported. And I've seen a lot of uh, uh, people in England complaining it as well. You know, there are similar ingredients, but it is a very different recipe. It was, recipe. it's very different, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And, and that just bugs me, and I think this speaks to all of these RuPaul drag races, yeah. the the proliferation of the progress flag. It, it sort of is that homogenizing and that assumption that this American history underpins everything. There's actually, there are people in the States who complain it as well, because they're saying it's, it's not even American queer politics, it's coastal 
queer politics. Yeah, yeah. San and it, Francisco, New York. Yeah, San Francisco, New York, L.A. And even if you're just in Miami, you have a completely different queer history. If you're in Kentucky or Texas, you have a completely que- different queer history. And, and they're looking at a lot of these politics and they're they're saying a lot of these don't even apply to us. And it's mm-hmm. it's like there's these major exporting cultural centers um and there's a few like like chicago is kind of in there but also kind of not because chicago is sort of the capital of the midwest but it's also kind of lumped into new york sometimes when you come to the ball scene and the drag scene and all that so it's it's kind of complicated even within the states a lot of them are like this doesn't even represent us because you know we're in the bayou and we have our own history that's completely different so actually new orleans has a really fascinating history it does yeah um and it's also weird because they it's I'm not gonna claim that they don't have a problem with racial discrimination in, in the Mississippi basin, but like their history of racial discrimination is also again completely different because like if you're a musician and I'm a musician, we're both musicians, let's get along. If you like food and I like food, we both like food, let's get along. They have this weird kind of like no but yes, but no but yes kind of racial discrimination thing where you have like kitchens of mixed black and white and it's been like that since the 1900s and so long as you're good at making gumbo nobody cares and it's but also no i don't know it doesn't matter point being they have a different history so there is this kind of weird exporting that's happening and a lot of people are just sitting there looking at that saying like that's not us you know we have our own version of that history and bringing that up is it's it's a discussion worth having but ours is different and yeah the reckoning that we need to do is different. The the discussions around it, the language that we need to use is probably different. And there is that that issue going on of like everyone keeps importing the politics of LA and New York. Yeah. Is there any distinctly Canadian queer slang that you think deserves a moment in the sun? I'm going to take that long pause as a no. <laughs> there was a few there there's a few things that came out of Letterkenny that I thought was hilarious uh, where they they refer they say homophobicists. Homophobicists? Yes. That's a good one. So I that like was that. a that was one of the ones and, and it was kind of satirical but uh, it did make me laugh, you know. He's a degen homophobicist from up country. Um, there probably are that I'm just there. It's d- does does a fish notice the water it's swimming in? <laughs> I think that's what's happening. Where I don't realize it until I speak to somebody who's not Canadian. Mm. Well, I did like the the British term backgammon player. Backgammon player. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, refers to someone who's homosexual. It's an old one. It's an old one. A penny loafer as well as uh, yeah, one. P- penny the loafer. Yeah, backgammon player. Is that like secretly like? I don't know. I mean, it's, does it have to do with like Morocco or something? I don't know, but it's a British slang for for a gay man. Because there's a while there where all the all the gay men fled to Morocco and Algiers because they were kind of indifferent for a while. Um, uh, Willemus Burroughs hid out in Algiers for about a decade. Yeah. So I mean, I don't know where to be. All right, we're going to be jumping to our next track. This is uh, this is Mint Simon uh, with Tongue Tied. We will be back just after this. Just linger 
Canada's queer medium. My name is Luke Smith. My name is Sebastian. I want to start off with some good news. And uh, this is actually good news related to monkeypox. Okay. Which, uh, you know, I didn't, you know, some folks probably weren't expecting uh, uh, good news about monkeypox. It's got to happen eventually. It does. It does happen uh, eventually. So essentially, the good news about monkeypox is that it is on the decline uh most of the world over now that is a bit of a bit of a hard one to really define i believe the um uh, world health organization last thursday said that it is down 21 percent uh compared to the week before okay which is really good we're also yeah. seeing a decline in uh new york in la and uh, i'm just looking to see how we're looking in canada for monkeypox and sort of what that uh, what that look what that uh, spread looks like in in Canada, but once I uh, pull that up, the thing that we need to be a bit more clear about though is when monkeypox is reaching new areas, it's been found for the first time in Cuba and uh, in Indonesia, for example. Um, in those areas, it is spreading, and it is spreading relatively quickly. Mm. And in countries where there's less established healthcare systems, they are starting to have some of those rare deaths associated oh. with monkeypox. But like I said, this is often in countries that don't have the same kind of robust uh, healthcare system that most of Western Europe and uh, North America have. I think I remember reading about a death from monkeypox in the UK, but it was like somebody also had cancer and they were undergoing radiation treatment. And it was just basically like a whole, a lot of stuff was happening all at once. And then they also got monkeypox. So that's, I mean, a cold can kick you when you're down if you're going through stuff like that. So, I mean, a lot of that is, is sort of, uh, viral pylons, I guess you could say. As in piling on, not as in like pylons. No, we're we're not playing StarCraft. Okay, all right. I'm just <laughs> I'm just checking. I'm just checking. So in Canada, there's about twelve hundred cases. Uh, the number of hospitalizations is about thirty two. But mm -hmm. you know, there's forty six thousand cases mm -hmm. worldwide. Mm -hmm. uh, the trend has definitely slowed. Uh, just for those wondering, at time of recording, we have five hundred and eighty two cases in Ontario, four seventy eight in Quebec, one hundred twenty nine in British. Uh, Colombia. 
Um, but yeah, generally speaking, they are they are significantly significantly in decline. I'm just gonna, but yeah, I mean, and and obviously our listeners can't see the screen here, but it is the health-infobase.canada.ca/monkeypox, and we can really see that uh, the the rate of new cases is massively down. We're talking about less than ten cases. Yeah. In some place, in some days, it's even less than five cases. Mm-hmm. Uh, a day new coming in and that's great news you know but we have seen a significant ramp up in uh, in vaccines mm-hmm. what's really interesting we have talked or I have talked a lot about how the government of Canada announced their vaccine program I think they've handed out 77,000 vaccines um, but they haven't necessarily been clear on the timetable for the new va- for more vaccines coming in. Mm-hmm. Uh, the UK and parts of the US have now moved to a, a sort of multifractional uh, dosage um, method, okay. where essentially they're getting way more out of each uh, vial um, than the the standard recommended dosing method, really to stretch out that vaccine supply as widely as they can. Okay. Um, to kind of uh, help uh, help buck the trends, and that's definitely still effective. Well, the you know the manufacturers are less than less than keen on on <laughs> on, on this particular methodology, but the government uh, health agencies in the U.S. and the U.K. Uh, have recommended it, and I think it's also being used in some parts of Europe. This alternative uh, uh, dosage. Hmm. Um, but you know it's it's they're kind of in a rock and a hard place where they need to vaccinate more people and their supplies are unfortunately limited. Mm-hmm. Now I don't know with the rates of new infections in Canada as low now as they are, if that will have to be something that's uh, brought about here in Canada. But this is good news. Yes, this is good news that in Canada our rates of new monkeypox infections are significantly down, especially from the peak of, like, almost 30 cases a day to now a low of one or two cases a day. Um, this is uh, this is very, very good news. Mm-hmm. And likewise, we're seeing similar stories uh, across the world. There's, I know that there's been a, a, a huge influence on this has been reporting on what it's like to have it. And at first, people were pretty casual about it. They're like, eh, it's like chicken pox, whatever. But then some of the people who got infected have been tweeting about it, live streaming about it, going on TikTok or whatever. They've been going on social media. And it turns out that a not insignificant number of people have gotten the more extreme symptoms. So there are some people saying it's like 10 out of 10 on the pain scale. That like they would rather have a kidney stone than go through this again. That's not common. Not everybody is getting pain like that. But they're just basically saying this is uh, short of death. This is one of the worst things that can happen to you and pull out the other side. There are other people where they just get like a single blister on the back of their hand and they get a little bit, a little bit warm and uh, they're not very hungry. And then a week later, they're fine. So the, just like any disease, really any infectious disease, the kind of symptoms that people get are incredibly spread out. There are very few, like anthrax is one of the few things out there where like everybody suffers in the exact same way. But they're basically saying like you do not want to roll the dice on this. Absolutely. So a lot of the social media presence around this has been making people a little bit more uh, protective of themselves. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's 
one of the one of the individuals that died recently was a fifty year old Italian man mm-hmm. uh, traveling across Cuba. Okay. Um, and within three days, uh, he passed away uh, in Cuba. So it's suspected that he may have picked it up prior to arriving in Cuba. Yeah. Uh, the, three days is not enough time. Yeah. yeah the yeah. Pan American Health Organization confirms that there's about 25,000 cases in the Americas. And this, I think, is really what the World Health Organization was actually worried about you know when there's an outbreak of monkeypox in new york toronto vancouver la Mm. the health infrastructure in new york toronto san francisco and la or vancouver and la us is robust enough that folks can get adequate level of care pretty immediately Mm. but when a disease such as this spreads into uh, south and latin america through Countries that don't have developed healthcare to the same level, or even just rural Ohio, where you have to drive two hours. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It, you know, it's just it 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 has a serious impact, yeah. and that's one of the things we're finding that uh, monkeypox is down. Generally speaking, where vaccines have been particularly aggressively rolled out, yeah. but in other countries where there's less of a vaccine rollout, where healthcare is less. Uh, readily available it remains a concern Mm -hmm. um you know there's definitely a recommendation now in particular you know if you're a a, um, an active homosexual and you're planning an international trip okay uh, make sure that you have the the monkeypox vaccine because uh you don't want to be picking it up uh somewhere where there isn't uh you know the same level of care as you may have here um, but also, you don't want to be a vector of the disease taking it to these places. Yeah. And uh, and that's really what the issue is. You know, Europeans and North Americans traveling to Peru, India, Brazil, you know, uh, Mexico, Cuba, mm-hmm. and taking monkeypox with them to these uh, to these places. So we'll, uh, we'll keep an eye on this as it develops. But this has been essentially good news in terms of the tide turning uh, for monkeypox. Now, the other interesting news that came out this week was Alexander Vucic, the president of uh, Belgrade, um, has announced that Serbia will not be... Sorry, the president of Serbia has announced that Europride will not be happening in Belgrade. Um, now, it had been planned for September. This announcement was a significant surprise to Europride, and Belgrade Pride, mm-hmm. neither of whom were remotely aware that uh, this cancellation was even on, you know, a potential on the books. Mm-hmm. Europride is one of the largest sort of uh, amplifiers for Pride parades in Europe. Mm-hmm. It brings in very significant crowds. Uh, the president of Serbia announced that, uh, you know, there's a lot of reasons, including, and I quote, tensions with Kosovo. Okay, okay. As being a, a potential reason. Uh, economic problems and concerns that anti-gay protesters could disrupt the festivities. Okay, okay. Now, it's worth noting that we've been looking at Serbia Pride for many, many years. And anti-gay protesters have disrupted the festivities every year without mm-hmm. fail, like clockwork. Anti-gay protesters have disrupted the festivities in Toronto, like clockwork. Every year without fail. It depends on what you mean by disrupt. So uh, we're talking about disrupting pride festivities in Turkey. 
Yeah, there's like, rocks being thrown. There's rocks. Police. There's hoses. Yeah. Sometimes there's tanks. Yeah. Uh, people dis- are cattled. Yeah. yeah. Dis- disruptions in uh, Toronto is just an angry man on a soapbox shouting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That most people uh, actually. There's the one guy who's normally outside the Eaton Center, uh, and he's he's almost funny the the way he talks because there's been a few times where I stop and listen to him and I'm like, is this is this an act? Like it's just. It's too much. It's like it's like if the kids in the hall were to do it. This is what it looked like. <laughs> you know the guy I'm talking about, don't you? I, I'm sure I've walked, I've walked by. But yeah, no, th- there just comes a point where you're like, come on. But like disruption between quotation marks, that can mean many things. But um, could he have just been wrong? Uh, w- was he misinformed or w- w- what's what, going the on? President? With this? Yeah. Well, um, yeah, so they said that the cancellation would essentially violate their freedom of expression and uh, various other rights protected by European human rights law. Right. Because, of course, Serbia is a party to the EU Human mm-hmm. Rights Act. Uh, he, the president does go on to say this is a violation of minority rights, but at this moment, the state is pressured by numerous problems. Uh-huh. Um, now, it's worth noting that the European Pride Organizations Association, which licenses Europride, um, have essentially said, we're going to just do it anyway. Yeah. Which is not ideal. You don't want to have a, um, you know, a, a, a rogue pride festival yes. uh, without the backing of the state. But what I think is really interesting here is there's almost a question as to whether or not this is the politics of the president of the day mm-hmm. or whether or not this is, you know, are there actual reasons why beside a vague threat of tension with Kosovo? Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. Uh, Steve Taylor, interviewed by the New York Times for European Pride Organization, uh, says, and I quote, from our perspective, nothing has changed. The event is going ahead as planned. Um, And he goes on to say, which I think is quite hilarious, the president's statement this morning is probably the best marketing campaign we could have ever hoped for. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So we'll see. I expect that uh, it probably will go ahead. They're expecting tens of thousands of people to show up for the parade. Mm -hmm. um, And uh, we'll go from there. Now, you might find this really interesting. In, I want to say Leeds... Lincoln, sorry, it was at the Lincolnshire Police at Lincoln Pride, Lincoln being a town in in England. Mm-hmm. Uh, during the parade, I believe it's sort of in the community fair, the uh, four police officers did the Macarena uh, to music happening going on in the background. Oh. Now, oh. me looking at that is just four cops engaging with the audience in the least threatening way possible. Are you kidding? The Macarena is the worst thing to happen to humanity after the Black Death. And Genghis Khan. Like, it's number three. It's, it's, it's grim. Uh, I, I don't think, I don't think it is proper or right for somebody dressed up representing the state to do the Macarena. To do the Macarena. That is offensive to me. Okay, I I disagree because if Lincoln Pride has made the decision to if they have... did the achy breaky line dance, that's, okay, that's, that's okay. That's a whole different story. It, it's specifically because it's the. What memory. about the cha cha slide? Can they do the cha cha slide? <laughs> um, but no, I mean, what was that Drake dance? I don't remember that one. Yeah, but my point is, if the Lincoln Pride have invited the police to have a booth at the community fair, mm-hmm. and this is how they're entertaining themselves and their crowd, because at a community fair 
it's community policing at that point. Okay. It is engaging people in a non-threatening way. It's outreach and liaising. It's, it's exactly, yeah. yeah. So we got some people in the gay community outraged that their police are just even there, yeah. let alone doing the Macarena. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we have yourself, which is outraged at the Macarena. It, yes. Um, yes. And then we also have more people outraged at uh, this sort of frivolity of the police, that this is unbecoming of, uh, you know, an instrument of the state almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, the chief constable for the um, the Lincolnshire police, uh, and I'll see if I can find his comments directly here, but essentially is fed up of the police being a like a, a, a ping pong ball yeah. in the culture war. Uh, so the chief constable goes up to say, Lincolnshire police officers are at pride to make sure that everyone is attending experiences a yep. safe and happy event. Uh, Lincoln Pride is a celebration of inclusivity and representation with the LGBT community. Mm -hmm. And the Lincolnshire police, we are there to support them and build confidence in our service. Mm -hmm. I expect my officers and staff to engage with people attending Pride, to chat, to laugh to join in and even dance where it is appropriate to do so yes. and not detract from their duties. Policing is not just about enforcement and patrol, but about engagement, understanding and being a part of the community. Mm -hmm. We want everyone attending Lincoln Pride to know that we were there for them and that our service Lincolnshire communities is inclusive. Mm -hmm. Essentially, the the chief saw this debate about should they Macarena, should they not Macarena, should they be there, should they not be there, yeah. and was essentially like, look, we were the invited, we are there. At that point, our job is to engage with the community. Mm -hmm. And if it involves having some fun and being friendly, yeah. that is what it involves. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think that uh, the argument that the police have been a culture war ping pong um, or a hot, cultural hot potato is, it's not, is not bad. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it, it's so it, the community wants the police to be supportive. We want them to listen to us. We want them to care. This is what that looks like. And I think this is this is kind of the a lot of people forget about this side of Martin Luther King. But like one of his big messages was uh, during the civil rights movement is live your life as if racism doesn't exist. You want to go to a restaurant? Go into that restaurant. You want a job? Apply to that job. People say mean things to you? Pretend like they said nothing at all. Not out of denial or ignorance, but because if you just live your own life, that will create positive change. Mm -hmm. And you will suffer along the way because the world has not agreed with you that racism doesn't exist yet. But that sort of like positive, just go out and do it. So... There are a lot of police forces out there that are trying to do that kind of angle of, yes, there is a history, but why don't we just, whatever future you want us to look like, like the relationship between the police and the community, why don't we just jump over everything, go straight to that, and then in the background we can do all the reckoning with history. Let's just start the positive uh, relationship right now. Mm -hmm. Why not? Like... No, we're not going to ignore the past, but if we just go on right now, like how we want the end point to look like, that's positive, you know? The fact that it, it looks like we're ignoring the past, we are not ignoring the past, we will work with you on other things. And there are some police forces that are trying to do that. And there's community members that are like kind of mm, about it. They don't like that, but I don't know. I think, I think if you just jump to the end point that you want to exist and then elsewhere you do the apologies you do the reckonings you do the education stuff 
I think it's it's a good way of splitting the difference and getting to the finish line faster. Mm. I think there was a there was another interesting police and pride story that emerged this weekend, mm. and that was from Wales, where the uh, there's a lesbian group called Get the Yell Out, yeah. and it is it is fundamentally it's an anti-trans group. They are uh, particularly upset with the inclusion of trans folks. Yeah in the broader GLBTQ movement. I, I went to their website and checked it out. At the top of the page, they define themselves as a pro-lesbian group, but then the rest of the page was all about trans stuff. And it's like, yeah, mm. they're, they're foundationally, they are lesbians who are anti-trans. Yeah, yeah, they, they define themselves more about what they're against as and less about who what they they're are. for, yeah. So there was an interesting interaction caught on video about at the Wales Pride, so Cymru, uh, Pride Cymru, mm-hmm. uh, in Cardiff, in Wales. And uh, essentially, these folks, this group, uh, interrupted the Pride Parade um, to essentially yell and shout and protest the inclusion of trans folks mm-hmm. and were very disruptive. And the, the Welsh police essentially said, we're going to have to ask you, we're going to have to remove you from the, from the road and the parade. So they, they weren't arresting them. They were just saying, no, no. could you step aside, please? No, no. They said, we have to remove you. You have two options. You can voluntarily move. Okay. Or... <laughs> you can be involuntarily moved. Okay. And now the the uh, lesbian anti-trans person said, let me be very clear here. You are threatening to remove us lesbians from a pride parade. Mm-hmm. And the police officer said, whatever you are, at this moment, you're causing a confrontation and we will move you. <laughs> and I'm like, I get it. Yeah. But what the context that's missing here is that this group never registered to be part of the parade. Okay. They weren't at that spot in the route. They purposely attended the parade to disrupt it, to call out trans folks who had registered, who were participating peacefully uh, and sort of engaging their, you know, their, their, their business. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of um, Eddie Izzard. And Eddie has asked comments about how there are lots of serial killers who are straight, but sometimes you get, you know, the odd trans serial killer. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's like, yes, even trans people have serial killers. Yeah. But that doesn't mean all trans people are serial killers. And likewise here, you know, even gay people have disruptive, pride-interrupting you know, somewhat extreme individuals who are also lesbian. Serial killers are actually very... uh, uh, Evenly spread? uh, Evenly spread, yeah. They they are at demographic levels. If Mm. if you're looking at, like, uh, the the racial distribution of serial killers, completely unrelated. But, yeah, the weird deep cut, because all I was thinking was, do you have a flag? (laughs) (laughs) I'm an executive (laughs) transvestite, but no, it's... uh, but yeah, the, I think it places it placed the the Welsh police in a very difficult position because yes. now these lesbians are like you're removing lesbians from the pride parade when in fact what they're doing is stopping a confrontation where they yeah. are the aggressors in that in that scenario. And even then, if they're just like if you step aside to that bare patch of lawn right there mm-hmm. where you're out of the way, you have the legal right to do so. Please yep. just move. They were moving them off the road. Ten they meters. They were moving them out of the parade route. Just right there. Just right there. Yeah. Just right there. And and, and and no problems will arrive. At, I mean, maybe problems, but no legal problems. So, like, that's... I think that's a fair message of just being, like, just right right there. Right were you, were there. you at the flag raising a few years ago where... Uh, a mutual friend of ours, former friend of ours, who used to drive a bus was protesting 
the raising of the flag as being systemically homophobic. And it was the pride flag raising at City Hall. And, and this individual was protesting the pride flag. They identified briefly for a while as a gay man. Um, but, you know, it, you know we, even in our community, there are people who cause disruptions oh, yeah, yeah. and cause trouble. And I think that, uh, you know, the, the police in this case were just the unfortunate uh, wall that met that aggression. Yeah, yeah, there is there is quite a bit of that, yeah. The, the, the community is kind of a... Um, this is something that I, I talk about off-air a lot more. It's not controversial or anything. It's just a, there's no place for it. It just doesn't come up naturally. But the, a lot of people use the term demographic and community interchangeably. Yeah. And sometimes when people say community, what they mean is demographic because you're just talking about people who identify a certain way and they can drastically disagree with yeah. each other. It's like saying the brunette community. Yeah. All brunettes are not going to be the same. No. <laughs> you know? Like that is, you know, or, or the blonde community. Yeah. Can you imagine, imagine Marjorie Taylor Greene yeah. And uh, Nancy Pelosi, uh, you know, agreeing to it. Is Nancy Pelosi blonde or brunette? Whatever. Just say Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton. Yeah. You yeah. know, they, they are, they're both blonde, but yeah. are they the blonde community? No, 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 no. no, 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 no. Yeah. There are extremes. And, and there are definitely, um, like, there are, are plenty of people uh, who are gay, lesbian, bisexual, trans identified. I'm not even going to say LGBT because then you're, that's, a, that's a label of a certain site. But people who identify as one of those who are kind of like culturally homophobic they hate the culture of the lgbtq community um and there are times where i hear them talking i'm like okay yeah no i agree with that that's that's not a great like some of the some of the the the, the behavior in the in the bar scene for example oh yes it's it's you should hate it you're you're a sane person if you don't like what happens on grinder like that's fine you absolutely know? i'm not going to judge you for that but yeah it, it's we're more of a demographic than a community yeah well, I do want to close out with some other news, and this is uh, just the last bit of good news, and that is that the Vietnamese government has condemned conversion therapy mm. and also announced that homosexuality is not a disease. So this is Vietnam joining other countries in East Asia, mm. uh, essentially moving towards uh, uh, a more nuanced understanding of homosexuality and less of an aversion to homosexuality. Yeah, because Singapore was kind of going through that, weren't they? Where it's like, turns out it's expensive to police this. So... <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we'll um, they've essentially told doctors to not consider homosexuality, bisexuality, or transgenderism a disease. Mm -hmm. um, and it's already illegal to discriminate, but uh, it seems like there's an education growing on that uh, front as well. So mm -hmm. this is this is great news uh, from the Health Ministry of Vietnam. We'll keep an eye on it and other stories as they deserve, develop. But that's all we have time for this week. We're playing out with The Current by Catherine Fisher. I've been Luke Smith. And I've been Sebastian. And thank you for listening. Has the swiftness of a current pushes you right back into the shore. And time is the master of all extensions, and the cruelty of cutting them too short.
Pushes you right back into the shore.